This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. What makes eHarmony so special? You. No, really. The profiles and conversations are different on eHarmony, and that's what makes it great. eHarmony's compatibility quiz brings out everyone's personality on their profile and highlights similarities on your discovery page. So it's even easier to start a conversation that actually goes somewhere. So what are you waiting for? Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, an NFL draft preview on the eve of the scouting combine in Indianapolis. Three guests. Number one, Todd McShay of ESPN. Number two, Lance Zierlein of NFL.com. And number three, my buddy from Sports Illustrated and SI.com, Chris Burke. I asked Todd McShay, why do you love Deshaun Watson so much? Two national championships in a row, one two ACC championships, one one national championship, and his intangibles are exceptional his work ethic leadership there's no question he loves the game and not what the game gives to him i asked lance zierlein why the safety position is so good this year colleges realize and and this has been this way for a while in college shoot we got to find guys who are good enough to tackle they have some size but they've got to be able to cover in space i asked chris burke what will be the hallmark of this draft i think it's a really deep draft on the defensive side of the ball and Sort of to be determined on the offensive side of the ball. And now my conversation with Todd McShay. We are previewing the NFL draft and the NFL scouting combine. I'm probably not going to do a lot of podcasts week to week looking at the prospects in the draft, but at the start of the draft season, which is the combine to me, I really wanted to hit it. And uh, there's nobody better to start it off with than Todd McShay of ESPN. And Todd, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Happy to do it. How you been, man? I've been doing great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let's just start off, and I'll just ask you, because I'm curious about your, uh, kind of your background, and, and I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast, you know, they're football fans, but they're also people fans. So I want to ask you, How'd you get into this crazy business, and what is the way you were birthed as a draft analyst? Well, try to give you the the long short of it. I, I played at University of Richmond, and by played, I mean I was a backup who got my brains beaten in by guys like Sean Barber and Mark Magna, who were the defensive ends, and I was on the scouting team. And career didn't last very long, and we switched to the option. And I'm not a very mobile quarterback, so I wound up undergrad coaching the last year and a half and um and got an internship with gary horton who had just left the league and had worked with bill belichick at the browns and uh with the buccaneers and he was starting an independent scouting company and we we got up to 
16 NFL teams that were clients just as cross checks and, and sharing different information and realized that we couldn't make a, a big business out of it. And so wound up getting into media and, and along the way we had four or five different guys that came through our group that went on to the NFL. And after a few, several years of sporting news, we wound up being bought out by ESPN um, when the internet boom occurred. And a few years later, tried my hat and a little bit of radio and then a little bit of television after that. And kind of that's how we've gotten here. But basically we've always tried to line it up as close as we can to what an NFL scouting department is. I've got two other guys that work with me. It's not like having 12, 13 scouts and, and different analysts inside your organization, but we, we have a number of contacts obviously in the league that we try to get as much information in terms of the medical and the character uh, from their interviews and the psychological tests and the medical tests, and then make our own film evaluation and grades based off of film and then factor in what we're, we're getting from information from the teams in those other two areas. So let me, just so that people understand exactly what it is you do, let's take a player who is an interesting player this year in the draft. Mitch Trubisky, right. quarterback, North Carolina. Might be the first quarterback pick, might be a high first rounder. We don't know. Somebody's going to fall in love with him. A bunch of teams are going to really do a lot of work on him. So I would just ask you, how do you get to know Mitch Trubisky, the player? What do you do to have a really firm feel and confident, know that you have a confident view into how good Mitch Trubisky is, what are his good points and what are his bad points? Well, this is where the process is very challenging because a player like Deshaun Watson, who I think is one of three quarterbacks coming out of Clemson, probably the, the best player in college football, best college football player um, in the last year, maybe two years, and, and, and all the things that he's done, two national championships in a row, won two ACC championships, won one national championship, and it's 32-3 and three as a starter. And, and so only you know, three seasons at quarterback, starting for Clemson in the ACC, playing high-profile games, and you, you know coming into the season. So I've watched six games of, of Watson coming into the season and had a, a baseline for his evaluation. Mitch Trubisky hadn't started a game before. Right. Peter, he, he started 13 games in his career. And so five or six games in, I got a call from a scout who has that area said, hey, you, you, you need to get on this Trubisky guy. I don't know if he's going to come out or not, but he's playing at a high level. And so, you know, so I watched the tape, and then a couple of weeks later, watched another tape and really liked what I really liked what I saw. But again, you know, he's, he's got some room for improvement in terms of seeing the whole field, and he's got to adopt, adjust from that offense to a, a more pro-style offense. And there's, there's just a lot of minor red flags that start to add up and are concerning. But the tape is outstanding outside of a few plays here and there, he really, I mean, he has the arm, he has mobility. He made a couple bad plays in big moments, but he made a bunch of other really good plays in what you would call clutch situations. So his evaluation started basically midway through the season. And so there's so much less to go off of. I, I remember back to Mark Sanchez when, when Pete Carroll was saying, you know, publicly, which I wasn't in love with at the time, but I understood the message that this is a big mistake by Mark to leave because he wasn't ready and he needs more experience and history shows. And so I just, I wonder with Mitch how talented he is and what he could become if he winds up getting drafted really early 
and goes to a team like a Cleveland or a San Francisco that has to play him early. It has to play him early. Is he going to get a quote unquote fair shot at being what he could possibly be down the road? Or would he have just been better off going back to school and be, and have more experience and more maturity physically and mentally a year from now? So how many games of Trubisky have you watched? I've watched six of Trubisky. I've watched about 10 of Kaiser and I, I would guess around 20 of Watson at this point. Deshaun Kaiser, the Notre Dame kid. Sorry, and yep. Let's, yep. let's uh, just round it out. What about the other quarterbacks? Let's say Pat Mahomes, the sort of wild, right. wild card in this draft. I'm not quite as high on Mahomes as, as some other people seem to be. I see that there's potential there. You think just, he's a little bit of a wild man, don't you? Yeah, he's a, he's a wild man. He takes a lot of chances, which can be, you know, I, I like quarterbacks that aren't afraid to make plays but understand the importance of ball security. And I think, you know, it's, it's obvious he's big, he's physical. His dad was a major league baseball player. He's got the bloodlines. He's, he's got some, some of the it factors to him. But he's coming from a system that no one has ever had sustained success in the NFL making that transition. And we've seen a couple of first number one overall picks. Tim Couch we saw, and, and last year Jared Goff. And, and Goff, we have a long time before we make that decision, but obviously not off to the start that, that they were hoping for. So to me, Mahomes, there's the mechanics need a lot of refining. He's probably the most raw quarterback in terms of the top ten quarterbacks that we're, we'll talk about this year. But he again, he's he's got some mobility. He's a gamer. He's got a competitive edge about him. His his teammates love him, and he's got a big arm. So it's going to be interesting to see where he comes off the board compared to a a guy like a Brad Kaya out of Miami, or Nate Peterman. Both of whom uh, are more polished, obviously. Exactly, but don't have the big arm. Right. So it's going to be, I think Nate Peterman's probably the most underrated quarterback in this class, and a lot of it just has to do with his journey. He went to Tennessee, he he got injured after winning the starting job, he came back, it wasn't himself early on, and wound up losing the starting job to to, uh, Josh Dobbs, and who's also in this draft class and had a really good senior bowl week the Tennessee starter from the last couple of years. So Peterman transfers to Pitt, has a, a, obviously a new coordinator, picks up that scheme quickly, has a good first year, then gets another new coordinator for this past year, 2016, and picks up the scheme quickly again and has a brilliant year. He set all sorts of records, and Pitt scored more points this past season than it has in any other uh, year in school history. So he, to me, is one of the most intriguing quarterbacks at 6'2", 222 pounds, and I thought put on a good showing at the Senior Bowl. And the only other guy I'll mention is Cal's Davis Webb, who has a lot of work to do but has the physical tools and the arm and spins it really well. So you've got Mitch Trubisky, Deshaun Kaiser, Deshaun Watson, all competing for that first round, for those first round spots. And I think they're all second round quarterbacks, to be completely honest with you, but they'll get bumped up. And I think Webb, Peterman, Kaya, Mahomes are all in that second to third tier, if you will, where they'll be competing to, to come off the board somewhere on day two or early day three. For people who remember back to the national championship game and they saw one of the best college football defenses that they've seen in Alabama, and they saw Deshaun Watson shred this defense for you know major parts of this game, I wonder, what do you say to people who are going to say, you guys are crazy. Deshaun Watson just wins. He's a really good player, and everybody is nitpicky on Deshaun Watson. He can play pro style. He can play that game. So what do you say to those people? I say, first of all, I get, I get it. 
and, and I'm not saying that he can't. I mean, when you put up over 800 yards passing, Peter, and, and drop over 80 points in two games against a defense that is stifling everyone else that it's faced all year long, uh, there's a lot to be said for that. And I look at Watson, and he has his intangibles are exceptional. His work ethic, leadership, there's no question he loves the game and not what the game gives to him. He's got the mobility. He's got the arm strength. And I think there are times, there are areas of the field, let's put it that way, where he is very accurate. I just did a, a study. It was a six-game study from games this year, just looking at it, breaking down his accuracy in terms of middle out versus perimeter and then short, intermediate, and vertical. For all of his throws that were inside of 25 yards, for 25 yards beyond the line of scrimmage, every single one of those throws I charted, and he was 79% completion. Beyond 25 yards, he was 29%. Wow, so that's that is obviously a, a massive disparity. Now, can you improve with your accuracy on the deep ball? Is Some people will say you're not going to make a huge improvement. Others say you can make some mechanical tweaks. And then also the thing, he, while he's so mobile and does such a great job of extending plays and creating when the initial play breaks down, his, his pocket patience, poise, and feel are not where they need to be. And he was in an offense with a lot of half-field reads, so he wasn't having to see the entire field. And, and when he quickly tried to grow, go from one progression to the next, uh, the, he, that's when he tended to make mistakes. He threw 30 interceptions the last two years. So there's so many great things about Deshaun. But there are a few things that keep bothering you a little bit as you watch the tape. And I think that's what these teams are going to have to sift through. I mean, I, you know, Kyle Shanahan has had success. With San, he's now San Francisco head coach, and they're picking at number two, and they need a quarterback. He's had success with mobile quarterbacks and, and Trubisky and Watson. Kaiser, to a lesser degree, I think Trubisky and Watson are the two that have mobility. You know, would a coach like that who knows that he can develop a quarterback sit there and say, hey, Watson makes a lot of sense for us, even though he might not be a perfect fit for these other teams. It's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. I'm with Todd McShay on the podcast previewing the NFL draft season uh, before the NFL scouting combine. Todd, if you're the Cleveland Browns, you've got eight picks in the top 150, far and away more than anybody in football. You've got the first pick in the draft. You also pick 12 and 33. You have an embarrassment of riches of draft choices, but as we have seen time and again, draft choices in and of themselves do not win football games. So I'm asking you, your Cleveland Browns general manager, Sashi Brown, and you have a choice of what to do this year in the draft. Do you go hard after Jimmy Garoppolo? Do you throw a mountain of money at Kirk Cousins and draft choices at Washington? Or do you take one of the quarterbacks in this draft, and if so, where do you take him? Solve the Cleveland Browns quarterback problem. Todd McShay, you are on the clock. <laughs> it's one that hasn't been solved in 20 years, right? Miles Garrett would be my pick at number one if I decided I did not want to take a quarterback at that number one spot. That's what I would do, my biggest emphasis would be Garoppolo. And I don't know if New England's going to be willing, and my guess is if they are willing, it's going to require more than you would normally think. I mean, if Bradford was a one and four, I think that's what it was, a first and a fourth round pick, 
I'm guessing this is going to be more. This would be more expensive, even though Bradford played more games. So would you um, trade? Me, Here's a question. Here's a question. Yes. I proposed in my column Monday, if I were Sashi Brown, I would offer the 12th and 56th and 65th, excuse me, first pick in the third round, mid first round pick, first pick in the third round. I'd offer those two picks to uh, New England for Jimmy Garoppolo. I would absolutely do it. And I would even throw in a little bit more, honestly. And, it, uh, and if we're being completely honest, and I know this sounds crazy, if it came down to it, and I had to part ways with the first overall pick to finally solve. I mean, Garoppolo is is as close as you're going to get to being feeling secure about solving the quarterback position. I think for a couple more years, at least. I mean, you don't, you just don't know. And and it seems like every year there's it's fifty fifty in the draft whether you're getting one. And the Browns have made some terrible decisions. They've moved out of spots, and it's just they can't seem to get it right. If I this is as close to being certain about solving that position, the most important position in, in the sport. Why wouldn't you part with a way with a draft pick when you're, you're every single year, it seems like the Cleveland Browns are, are missing with two first round picks. Not a, may, right. Maybe if things are going well, they're getting it right with one. And so it's been 50, 50 at best anyway, at, at every position that they've drafted. So I would go after Garoppolo and that would be my number one priority. And if you could get Garoppolo with the 12th and, and a third, and even if you had to throw in a fourth or fifth, fine. Because now you've got your quarterback, and then you, you keep that first overall pick, and, and you go get a pass rusher and Miles Garrett, who I don't want to say it's consensus, but the vast majority of people I talk to in the league seem to agree that Garrett's can you the, imagine, the clear can you, number one. Can you imagine if you traded, and I raised this prospect in my column and – this is my commentary later on in this podcast about what Cleveland should do. But I wrote, uh, you know, about this a lot on Monday, and everybody said, "Oh, you're crazy! You're giving way too much for Garoppolo." And I said, first of all, if you believe in a quarterback, there's no price that's too high. That's number one. Number two, agree. If you can get Garoppolo for twelve and sixty-five. And let's say one other pick or one other something that isn't huge. What you still have is you have a one, the first pick in the draft that you can take the best defensive player in the draft. Most people say Miles Garrett. Some might say Jonathan Allen, uh, the lineman from Alabama. But you can get the best defensive player in the draft, and then you still have You've gotten the best defensive player in the draft. You've gotten your quarterback that you believe is your quarterback of the future, and you've got two twos left. I mean, why right. in the world? What The people crying about draft choices, it just kills me. It kills me. Draft choices are there to make your team better. Last year, the Browns had more draft choices than they have had since in any year since 1979. And people have just got to get off of this draft choice hoarding business. That's what the draft choices are there to improve your team. It's not a, it's not a yeah. contest to see who can no. collect the most draft picks. No, I tend to agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean there are there are different theories of terms of moving back and and said I, I'm not a big fan of moving up, but I don't want it's not even worth the conversation. But I, I completely agree and I think the most important point is that at that position it's just it just doesn't matter. If you think you've got the guy to solve it after all of these years and all the horrors that they've been through at that position, if they could finally solve the quarterback position, what is more important? No question about it. Todd McShay, really, really appreciate you joining me. Enjoy your work an awful lot. And more importantly, 
I'm educated by your work an awful lot. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Same to you and uh, look forward to seeing you in Indy. Thanks, Todd. Take care. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. I want to ask my listeners a quick question. How would you like to get three home-cooked meals for free? Well, all you have to do is remember these four letters, MMQB. Easy enough, right? Keep listening, and I'll tell you how to get those free meals. Look, we all know there's nothing better than a great home-cooked meal. No one makes it easier for you to do that than Blue Apron. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their suppliers and only bring you the best ingredients right to your door. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients and can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Now comes that part about the three free meals. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash MMQB. Think about it. Three free meals just by adding in MMQB. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. Once again, that's blueapron.com slash MMQB. Blue Apron. It's a better way to cook. Back on the podcast with Lance Zierlein. He's a very well-respected personnel analyst. He works for NFL.com. He also has a talk show on iHeartRadio in Houston. Have long respected his work. Lance, thanks a lot for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate it. It's a uh, it's an honor to be here with you, Peter. Thanks, Lance. So Let's get right into it and ask you, you know, what I've asked uh, my other guests is compared to past combines and compared to past draft classes, tell me how this one rates. I think it's, it's, it's kind of segmented where it depends on, I, the macro view is, I think it's pretty solid. I think it's pretty solid. The micro view is that it's going to be phenomenal at the safety position. I mean, absolutely phenomenal at the safety position. And it's going to be known as, as the big defensive backdraft in the, in the future because I think a ton of safety starters are going to come out of here. I think there's some high-impact uh, defensive linemen potentially, some high-end players like Solomon Thomas, Jonathan Allen, and, and Malik McDowell who are, are going to be um, you know up front. And, get, and they, they can all rush the quarterback too. So – um, you know, I think it's when you look at it as a, a draft class, Peter, I think it's going to be known for, you know, having a freak in it like Leonard Fournette. And of course, I use that term in the most glowing way in case Mr. Fournette listens. Um, but Leonard, Fournette, talking, Leonard Fournette listens and he sends in comments about my podcast every week. Come on, Lance. Well, good. Well, Leonard, <laughs> I want you to know I think you're freaky big and freaky fast, and I'm really looking forward to watching you work. At but, the you know, I'll, I'll, say, I'll, I'll ask this one question, though. Lance, and this is my question. I mean, it's kind of a twofold question about Fournette. Mm-hmm. One is that, look, there's only one back in the NFL last year who carried the ball 300 times, okay? Yeah. And everybody seems to be getting away from this dominant back era of football. People are are using a couple of backs. And even in the case of a guy, you know, like Le'Veon Bell, 
you still get the Steelers who want to use D'Angelo Williams or whoever the number two guy is going to be this year. So, and plus, Leonard Fournette has had some injury issues. So, do you really want to take Leonard Fournette, let's say, at number four, five, or six and base your offense around him? Well, I think it worked for Dallas, um, but that's a little different situation because that was a ready-made offensive line. And I think Ezekiel Elliott is the more talented runner. I think Leonard Fournette has the freakier potential athletic ability. So you might give him a little higher projection. But Ezekiel Elliott came in to me as a ready-made running back. I mean, there was no doubt what you were going to get from him. And that's the perfect scenario because you needed to protect the quarterback, Dak Prescott. Who knows how many carries Ezekiel Elliott would have had if Tony Romo had been healthy. But I think, Peter, the, the question you asked, that's a very good question, and I think it's one that teams have been grappling with for about five or six years now. And when it's all said and done, I think what you want is a guy like Le'Veon Bell who can take over games and take over playoffs if need be. And when you need that back, you need that back. Now, that doesn't mean you have to run them 330, 340 times anymore. I think, people, I think, I think teams are just smarter about how they use running backs. But when you want to go to a running back, you know – I sat and watched Gary Kubiak and Alex Gibbs and, you know, the offensive line here with the Texans and the running game and Arian Foster. And I can tell you, and I studied Alex Gibbs' offensive lines and running game when he was at, at uh, you know, in Denver. And I can tell you this. Yes, you can find running backs to be good running backs who can contribute. And the difference from a, from a complete season might be a really high-end back gives you 1,500 yards and, and 14 touchdowns where a guy down the line who gets in a good scheme gives you 1,300 and, and, and 11 touchdowns, and you think, well, what's the difference? Is it really worth that much? But I think the payday comes when it's a big game and you need a big situation and you need to control the ball and you need to you know, dominate another team who's a little soft against the run. That's where those Ezekiel Elliott's and the Adrian Peterson's and LaDainian Tomlinson's in the past and potentially Leonard Fournette, that's where they come into play. Now, what are you willing to pay for that? And is that something you want on a team that's a bottom half of the league team? You know, I think those are all – I'm not telling you I have an answer. I think every team is going to have their own spin on that philosophy. But I will tell you that more teams are, are obviously moving towards what you're talking about, which is staying away from those types of situations, high impact slash potentially early burnout running backs than, 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 than are who are looking for that. They're, they're tending to stay away from it. You know, you, you made the point. Uh, Lance, something that I find really, really interesting heading into this draft season. Talked to Mike Mayock about this the other day. And you made the point about the safety position. And I would ask you about the way football is being played now that I think plays into the hands of a lot of these good young safeties. Say Jabril Peppers and the guy from UConn whose name I'll never be able to pronounce. Um, But, you know, these bigger... (laughs) Bigger safeties who, in an ideal world, don't become dime guys. Who could become three down players because of the way of the success of, say, a guy like Deion Jones? And everybody will say, well, wait a second. What does a linebacker from LSU played for the Falcons this year have to do with the safety position? And it's very simple. You know, when, when the Atlanta Falcons last year took. Deion Jones, you know, coming out of college, he was in essence about a 200 and maybe 26 pound, you know, linebacker safety sort of hybrid to some degree. 
And so he came in and they said, no, 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 this guy's going to be our Bobby Wagner. He's not going to be Bobby Wagner, and he's not going to play exactly like Bobby Wagner, but he's going to be in the middle of our defense, and he's going to play sideline to sideline. So now, what do you have coming into this year's draft? Okay, you have some regular size safeties, maybe like a Buddha Baker type guy, the the guy from Washington, who I think is like mm-hmm. 5'10 and a half, but... The guy from UConn is six Ooh, four. I'm going to go under that, Peter. He's Are you going to hit five ten? Yeah. Okay. He's going to be about in spring. He was five oh nine six. So okay. All uh, right. But, so so and I so at at his at his peak, he'll he'll be he'll be five ten. But but right. I guess I guess what I'm saying is the safeties now they're being drafted not just to be safeties and or dime guys, you know, who might play a third of the snaps. They're being drafted. Mm-hmm in many cases to see if they can be every down players and who knows you know maybe maybe these guys will even get some snaps at the corner position but i want to ask you just about maybe the change in the way the game is being played right now to accommodate some of these bigger safeties yeah i think this is just you know to me this is almost a one-hour conversation it's one of the most fascinating conversations in football right now because we know that we've seen the trickle up theory. We, we've seen a trickle up from, from college to the pros. So more and more pros, it, pros are the last ones to get it. High schools and, and lower level colleges are the first, and then comes college and then comes pros. When it comes to trends and, and, and maximizing what you have on your, on your roster. I think as more and more teams started to realize that they could run the ball and run it effectively out of 11 personnel, the one tight end, one running back set, three wide receiver sets, then when they went from 11 personnel, Green Bay was doing it great about three years ago when Eddie, when Eddie Lacy was a rookie. More and more teams said, you know what, let's run from three wide receiver sets because we're getting to face six-man boxes a lot of times. We're getting to take a man out of here, and we're forcing the other team to put a, an inferior defensive back on the field, the third defensive back, the third corner. We're putting him on the field, and now what we'll do is we may run, and if that guy's small, then we're going to run at him, and we're going to beat that team up out of 11 personnel. And if we draft, knowing that that's what we want to do, then we're going to go find matchup tight ends that are about 230 pounds that can do some blocking on the perimeter as well. Not a, not a ton, but they're going to just kind of oversize some of the defensive backs that you put on them. So I thought that was an interesting twist to how teams started to, to really get into 11 personnel. Not only could they throw the ball, but they found that it was a very effective tool to run the ball against a much softer box. Well, you saw a team like Arizona who kind of lucked into to Deion Buchanan. They drafted him to be a safety. But what they found with Deion is they needed some inside linebacker help. Right. He was beefing up and getting bigger, and they happened to fall directly into – a hybrid situation where they had a hey, big, Todd Bowles, Todd Bowles did exactly that oh. with about three different safeties there. He's the father of this new, uh, you know, hybrid safety linebacker guy. Without question. And I think what's happened is colleges realize, and, and this has been this way for a while in college, shoot, we got to find guys who are good enough to tackle. They have some size, but they've got to be able to cover in space. There's none of this too high safety in college, not as much. The one high safety, we've got to mix up our defenses, and we have to have guys who can match up and cover. And so what we're seeing are guys like Josh Jones out of North Carolina State who can play near the box. I mean, this is a ferocious safety, who can play near the box or can play some in coverage. There's a guy at Boston College that I like a lot 
by the name of John Johnson. He came in, Peter, and I, to, to your point, he came in as a cornerback. Well, guess how big he is? John Johnson is, let me see his listed, I got his listed size right here. He's six foot 202. So good size. You roll him over at cornerback, and all of a sudden you got yourself a big cornerback. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. You mentioned Obi uh, Milifanwu, as I think mm-hmm. I was pronounced from UConn. Yeah. There, I talked to one team who said, we want to try him as a cornerback. That's unbelievable. 6'4", 219. And you might play corner. It's incredible. Yeah, Brandon Browner and Richard Sherman changed people's opinion about what you could have out there at corner and how you handled it. And so... You know, but, but you know, I mean, players. I hey, listen, Lance, I would yeah. agree to some degree, but you saw what happened to Jalen Collins in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady yeah. kept going after him late in the game, and I'm I'm just gonna get I I bet I bet that in the fourth quarter in overtime, they got eighty or a hundred of their passing yards on Jalen Collins, and that's because yeah. to me, oftentimes the big corner, the tall corner, doesn't have the ability to turn on a dime. The way mm-hmm. the way the smaller guys do, he's just he can't be as physically quick as the smaller yep. guys. And, and look, I'm not saying that that'll be the case with these guys, but I'm saying that there is a little bit of a danger in that. Well, it's all you got to scheme them up. I mean, look what what Seattle will do is they'll hit you with the bump and run, and they like to play trail coverage with their long arms. Right. But if you ask him to just match up and mirror and match, which Jalen was asked to do in college at LSU. Yeah, you're right. Guys who are six feet, six feet one, it's rare to see players with those kind of footwork and hips to be able to open and shift and redirect uh, like you're talking about and match up mirror and match in space. And of course, New England is is created with mismatches in mind from their wide receiving core to their tight ends. They don't want you to have an answer for everything. And, and I think that's the brilliance of Belichick. There's one safety I want you to remember this name. Uh, Peter and all your listeners as well. His name is Josh Harvey Clemens, the five-star player coming into Georgia, got in some trouble uh, with marijuana at school, ended up getting kicked out, went to Bobby Petrino at Louisville, and he plays safety at Louisville. But he's 225 pounds. He's six foot four. His arms are over 34 inches. As you know, that's tackle length. So he's incredibly long. And they played him, Louisville would play him around the line of scrimmage. So when you talk about Deion Buchanan or Jabril Peppers, this is a guy with better size than Jabril Peppers, who I think is potentially a better tackler, and he has some really electric uh, athletic hips and some ability. No one's talking about him right now. There's not a lot of talk. But he's a perfect example of just kind of, oh, yeah, he's a nice little college player who's absolutely built for the way the NFL is being played today with a hybrid safety linebacker slot. Final question for Lance Zierlein of NFL.com. So, Lance, Miles Garrett, first pick in the draft in your mind? Yes. Will he be the impact player that Von Miller is? Yes. I'm going to say he will, but I think there are still some holes in his game. I think he's got to get a lot better with his hands, and he's got to get better with counter moves. He's got a spin move that can devastate the league like we haven't seen since uh, Dwight Freeney. And he just uh, he didn't uncork it that often last year. And I know he had an ankle issue, which was one of the problems. But I do think his ability is Julius Peppers in his prime ability. That's, that's what he's capable of. Lance, listen, really, really appreciate you joining me on the podcast this week. Anytime. I love doing it. All the best. Thanks. 
This is the MMQB Podcast. QB Podcast. Joined now by Chris Burke, my peer at Sports Illustrated, sportsillustrated.com, and our draft analyst and sort of personnel evaluator going into the draft. And, uh, you know, Chris, I don't often during the football season read an awful lot about college football because I just simply don't want to take my Saturday and and get and get more things to be interested in rather than, you know, the Sunday games. But I've read a lot of your stuff since the end of the season because I try to catch up and going into the combine, I like to learn about the people who we're going to be paying attention to. And I think you've done a really good job summing things up, particularly at some of the positions that we don't often emphasize. You know, we've got Lance Zierlein on this podcast also, and he talked a lot about how great the safety position is, how great the DBs are. And so it's going to be an interesting draft, I think, and an interesting combine for sort of the non-famous people. How do you look at it? Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, uh, thanks, first of all. <laughs> glad glad you're reading. I appreciate it. Sure. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, we're always going to talk about the quarterbacks. I think we'll talk about the quarterbacks at the Combine like usual. But, yeah, I think it is interesting um, because offensive tackle is a position that's viewed as being down this year. It is a very defense-heavy draft. And I think particularly, you know, safety obviously is very good. Cornerback is very good. But I think it – that up front too, the teams that want those edge guys want players that can play in kind of hybrid roles and, you know, kick inside on passing downs and play outside sometimes. And, you know, maybe be the next Michael Bennett, that type of player. I mean, there's lots of those guys too. So it's, it's a really, I think it's a really deep draft on the defensive side of the ball and sort of to be determined on the offensive side of the ball. You know, talking to Mike Mayock the other day, he said he thought it was going to be the best defensive draft in 10 years. And it's kind of funny. Most people, when they look at the draft, the first thing they say, like me, where are the quarterbacks and how good are the quarterbacks? And every single quarterback this year comes with an X factor to him. Everybody's got a problem. It seems like Mitch Trubisky, maybe if you gave 32 teams sodium pentothal, maybe he would be favored by 13 to 15 teams as the number one guy. But when you favor a guy who's only had 13 starts, that really ends up being a pockmark that he's going to have to prove both at the combine and after that, that is not going to be a killer to his resume. When you look at Mitch Trubisky, what do you see? And what do you think of his NFL readiness? I think you do see that inexperience. I mean, I don't know that that's something, I think it's more an issue of whether or not a guy's mentally ready than physically ready at this point. Because right. if, if you feel like he can make the job, and this was similar to the conversation we had about Carson Wentz last year, you know, he, cause he missed most of his last season with an injury. So it was sort of nitpicking. Did he had enough, have enough throws? And, and for him, you added in the fact that he was playing at a lower level of competition. And uh, so it was similar to that conversation, but I, I, with, as we saw with Wentz, if, if a quarterback's smart enough, if he's mentally advanced enough and can process the game, I think teams were willing to take that over some mechanical flaws and, and worry about the rest later. So if Trubisky can handle that, then 
certainly, like you said, I think right now heading into the combine, he probably is that guy who would be, like you said, if you if you pulled the teams, he probably would be in that number one spot. I mean, physically, I think there are things to worry about. Um, I, I do think he has some good athleticism, but you know, I, he's not terribly accurate throwing on the run. He's not terribly consistent with his mechanics from the pocket. Uh, and those are things, again, you, you are going to have to work on once he gets there. And if he's not your starter next year, you know, we see this time and again with teams, it's really hard to develop young quarterbacks when they're not playing because they're not getting reps. And so he's sort of in that spot where you wonder how much progress he can make during the off season, because I don't think he's ready right now to start in the league. I think those, those issues with his mechanics and his footwork in particular, you know, when he sets and when everything sort of clicks in rhythm, he throws a great ball. I think he's, you know, he's willing to stand in the pocket. He's tough. He can get the throws to wherever he needs to get them to, but it doesn't always happen like that. And you'll see a lot of throws off his back foot and a lot of throws behind receivers and into the ground. And uh, so it's tough. I don't think he's ready, but again, how, you know, when and how do you develop him uh, that you'll feel comfortable with him? I think one of the things last year, when you look at the guys who came out in the draft, I mean, Christian Hackenberg, 51st pick in the draft, and now all you hear out of the Jets is we're no closer to finding out whether Christian Hackenberg can be the guy than we were a year ago. And in part, what you're saying is exactly right. I mean, he's not basically, uh, he's not one of the top two quarterbacks. So if anything, if anything, he's playing some scout team, you know, and that's all he's doing. He's never taken any snaps uh, with the first unit, and I, I would just say this: this is, and this is sort of a been a pet peeve of mine over the years. Even if you don't intend to play a quarterback in his rookie year, I think what coaches should do in the NFL, and let's say somebody's going to take Trubisky, let's say it's the San Diego Chargers, and I'm just making that up, or the L.A. Chargers now, and they have Philip Rivers. In my opinion, Anthony Lynn, the head coach of the Chargers, should add 15 minutes onto Wednesdays and Thursdays practices. And what he should do is said, okay, uh, Trubisky, get in there and let him play with the ones. And and so, in other words, you know, don't just let a guy carry a clipboard and sit in the film room and watch. Let him get out there and let him have an opportunity to see what he's facing and see what he will be facing whenever he does play. Like, I, I think, and again, far be it for me to tell a veteran coach like Todd Bowles what to do, but I think it's idiotic to draft a guy and to think he's your quarterback of the future and never let him on the field other than after training camp for any reps with the people he's going to play with someday, theoretically. But that's always been a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. You take a quarterback and you let him, you put him in the incubator but you don't allow him any real opportunity to grow. I, I, I don't know. I don't know where that came from, but I just, I, just sort of, I just sort of thought of it, and I've always thought, why do number one draft pick quarterbacks never get a chance to practice with the ones? just seems like a waste right. of time. Yeah, and I think that is – I mean, you're, you're not going to have a guy – it's very, very rare that you draft a rookie and he steps in and is a superstar right away. It obviously – has happened on rare occasions in the NFL, but I think for the most part, you're looking at 
needing to draft and develop. And that's real to me the most NFL ready of these guys right now is is probably Deshaun Watson, and that mainly has to do with the experience he's had to a large extent. I, I think that that's probably why he's most ready. And the same thing with him, though. I don't think you're drafting him and and he's 100 percent ready to be a starter right out of the gate is there has to be some development process in place for all these guys. And it is tough because I think certainly Trubisky, ideally you let him sit for a while and Kaiser, you let him sit for a while and Mahomes, maybe you let him sit for a year or two before you get him in there. But yeah, you can't just let him sit. I mean, they can't just sit and do nothing. You got to sit and get better somehow without blame. With Chris Burke of sports illustrated and SI.com. So, Chris, you live in Michigan, and you obviously follow the University of Michigan very closely. And I wonder, I look at a guy like Jabril Peppers, who I've just seen highlights of, but he looks like such an interesting player because of his potential versatility. And I'm not saying he'll be Charles Woodson or anything like that, safety corner, even wide receiver if need be, but... What do you believe is the NFL fate of this versatile safety and whatever else he's going to be? Yeah, I mean, I think that that is his fate. He's a safety, sort of a hybrid safety, someone that I think he showed this year that he can kind of close. He can get downhill and blitz if you need him to. And he's really explosive when he just sort of has a straight line to a running back or a quarterback. Uh, And that's part of why... Michigan played him at linebacker so much this year and gave him an opportunity to do a lot of things at Michigan. I don't know that, you know, in terms of projecting him to the next level, that scheme necessarily did him a whole lot of favors because now you're talking about trying to transition him to uh, a safety spot after he was working, as as I said, mostly as a linebacker this year. So there's a lot of projection there, but I do think that the, the versatility is a huge upside. I think teams that draft him should certainly plan to use him as a return man and maybe get him involved in the offense because he showed he can help in both areas there. And he's an explosive return guy uh, on punts, especially. And then defensively, I mean, again, it's going to be a bit of a process with him because I, you know, I think he's more of a safety linebacker hybrid because I don't know right now that he has the coverage skills to play at cornerback. Maybe you can put him in the slot and let him and let him help there just because he is so quick, so athletic. But I don't know that the coverage skills are there to really live as a cornerback. So I think that you're probably talking about someone who's a safety. You know, you pull him up into the box as much as possible, let him play, let him do some things from there. Maybe it is attacking the quarterback. But he is so unique, and I think we're going. It's it's going to be really interesting to see him at the combine working out with the linebackers too, as opposed to the DBs, because he should test off the charts, given uh, at least relative to what he's up against in that linebacking core. So that you know maybe gives him back some momentum. It feels like he's sort of been fading uh, in the draft discussions these last few weeks. But you know that's really the reason why that's a smart thing for him to do. Quite honestly is look at the way the game's being played. Look what Todd sure. Bowles did with the Arizona Cardinals in put in moving safeties down into the box. I mean, the, the game is going in that direction. And so why wouldn't you try Jabril Peppers? You know, the, the UConn safety. You know, I was joking earlier. I can never pronounce his name. It's Obi. So I'll oh, just yeah, call no, him Obi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, what's, what's so interesting to me, the game is changing 
And there are a bunch of players this year. One of the storylines in the draft, I think, is that the game is changing and the players, the versatile players in the secondary are sort of changing with it. They're, they're, they're feeding right into the kind of player that the NFL is using more and more. In other words, if you're a six foot, 204 pound safety, you don't necessarily stay back in center field or, or maybe support the run a little bit. You can actually line up uh, next to Bobby Wagner, you know, or, or next to next to somebody, uh, you know, three yards off the line of scrimmage. So I think that's a fun part of this draft and a fun storyline in this draft that we'll all be talking about. I think one of the most interesting things I heard uh, Don Brown, the defensive coordinator at Michigan, say during Pepper's career was that they didn't really have to change much once they're on the field. They didn't have to substitute a lot or adjust to fit offensive personnel because they just moved Peppers around. You know, if they were facing a power run game, they'd bring him down as a linebacker. But if the team went to a li- pulled in a little tempo and went hurry up and spread the field, they'd move him out to the slot or they'd slide him back. Uh, and let him play some zone coverage and safety. So I think that's really, like you're saying, I think that's his value. You know, it's not necessarily, well, he's, he has to be a safety or he has to be a linebacker. It's that you can mix and match him. Or really, he can be out there against any alignment on offense because he's shown he can uh, play the run and, and be at least physical enough at the college level to be in the box, and he's shown he can play against the pass, too. You know, you'd like to see people point to the interception numbers, and, you know, you would like to see him make a few more of those sort of game-changing plays on defense this year. But, uh, again, I I don't know that that necessarily was what he was asked to do all that much. He wasn't in a ton of coverage situations where he would have gotten picks and things like that. So I think that's the big value with him is that it's really hard for teams, and we – with both the Patriots and the Falcons getting to the Super Bowl, it's really hard for teams to match up with offenses that can hurt you in a variety of ways. And, and Peppers is a guy who can sort of combat that. Chris Burke, really appreciate you taking time to be on the podcast and uh, increase our knowledge quite a bit. Uh, thanks and look forward to seeing you in Indianapolis. Yeah, same here. Thanks for having me. This is the MMQB Podcast. podcast. Thanks so much to my guests, Todd McShay, Lance Zierlein, and Chris Burke. We now have a baseline of knowledge about the 2017 NFL Draft. So, I want to talk going out a little bit about the Cleveland Browns. And the one thing I've learned over the years working at Sports Illustrated, and then after founding the MMQB four years ago, you can never write enough about the Cleveland Browns. You can never talk enough about the Cleveland Browns. You can never even think in your semi-comatose hours too much about the Cleveland Browns because the fans of the Browns are just so into the Cleveland Browns. And I'm going to tell you one thing that, that I believe hurts the fans of the Cleveland Browns as it relates to this time of year. So the Browns have been so bad for so long that they have grown to love draft season. You know why? Because that's the only time of year that they're on the same level with everybody else in the league. And they're even at a higher level. Last year, they had more picks than they had had in almost 40 years. They had 14 draft choices last year. 
This year, they've got eight picks in the top 150, including the first pick in the draft. And the most picks in the top 150 other than Cleveland is six. And so, you know, the Browns just get so excited. Their fans get so excited. Man, we got all these picks. Well, understand something about draft picks. Draft picks are a vehicle for your team to get really good. So right now, here's the problem with the Cleveland Browns. They don't have a quarterback of the future, almost certainly, unless Cody Kessler, Robert Griffin III morph into something far better than they showed in 2016. They don't have a pass rusher who scares anybody. And they've got one very good corner in Joe Hayden. And other than that, I mean, I I would just say that the three positions you have to have in the NFL uh, to be a Super Bowl champion, in my opinion, you've got to have an answer at quarterback. You've got to have a player on the defensive front who scares teams who they have to game plan around. And you've got to be able to have the ability in the secondary to shut down great receivers. If you're a Cleveland Browns fan, you've had a jillion picks, and what really have you accomplished in those three areas? As of right now, you're far away, in my opinion, in all three areas. And I bring this up only because in my column, Monday Morning Quarterback this week, I wrote about how if I were the Browns, I don't know if you'd get them, but if I were the Browns, I hear they really like Jimmy Garoppolo of of New England, the backup quarterback to Tom Brady. And if you really like Jimmy Garoppolo, then what I would do is I would offer my mid-first-round pick, number 12 overall, and my third-round pick, number 65 overall, to try to get Garoppolo. Well, if you read my Twitter feed, you would have thought that I said, uh, I think we ought to go to Cleveland and commit mass murder. Because everybody said, oh my God, Garoppolo, he started two games in the NFL. How can you give that much for him? It's ridiculous. You can't do it. You have to use this draft to get your base of talent, blah, 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 blah. Look, the Cleveland Browns, unfortunately, have an embarrassment of riches in the draft this year when there's no sure thing at quarterback. And my question would be, do you want to take Mitch Trubisky Uh, who's had 13 starts in college football? Or do you want to take a guy who has been almost exclusively a backup in New England, Jimmy Garoppolo? He started two games this year. He won at Arizona in the first game of the year. And then the second game of the year, he got injured midway through. But in his first three drives against the Miami Dolphins, He led 75-75 and 86-yard touchdown drives, all of which he finished with touchdown passes. So, And then he got hurt, and he missed the last game and a half Jacoby Brissett played uh, before Tom Brady came back. And so I think what happens is that there is this imminent knee-jerk reaction. Oh, my God, you can't trade for a guy who's that inexperienced. Well, what are these guys in college? What's Deshaun Kaiser? Uh, What's Pat Mahomes? Now, Deshaun Watson has a lot of experience at Clemson, but uh, there are some holes in his game, especially throwing the ball downfield, that are concerning. But my only point is, whatever the Cleveland Browns decide, 
they're going to do uh, this year, whether they want to aggressively go after Garoppolo or, or Kirk Cousins or whether they fall in love with one of these quarterbacks in the draft. If you have to overpay for them, who cares? It doesn't matter. Get your guy. Get the guy you love. Get the guy you want. Solve the biggest problem that the Cleveland Browns in an entire generation since they returned to the National Football League in an entire generation, they have not had a quarterback that you can build around for the long term. That has to end, and it has to end this year. Give Hugh Jackson the ability to go out and get the quarterback he wants and let him get that guy, let him build with him, and stay with him. And this love of draft choices, drop it, Cleveland. Just drop it. Thanks to my guests, Todd McShay. Lance Zierlein, and Chris Burke. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, and Larry Fitzgerald. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Listen to other podcasts on our series as well with Albert Breer, Gary Gramling, and Andy Benoit. Thanks to the fine folks at Digital Media for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsor, Blue Apron. Please support Blue Apron the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.